morning, folks. Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. If you're here for the first time, can I give you a big welcome? My name's Steve. I'm one of the leaders here. And uh, we're going through uh, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. So if you've got your Bibles, please grab them and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We've got two more to do before we close this series up. But a few things I want to say just as you, as you go there. One of the things that is always important, folks, to remember when you read the Bible is that we are reading something that had been said or written to a specific people at a specific time in history. That God had inspired and instructed His Word to be communicated through people who proclaimed it or recorded it to a specific people at a specific time. So when we read the Bible for us, if we forget that, the temptation is to read this and go straight to us rather than to read it in a way that, that to, to try and read it in a way that seeks to understand the context that Jesus was speaking to and then from that apply it to ourselves. It's interesting, the Bible also says this, that even though it was written to a specific time to a specific people for a specific purpose, it is also profitable for us today. Amen? Also profitable for us today. Now, one of the reasons why I think this is important is the reminder that God spoke and is speaking to real people, that God is revealing himself to human beings. Human beings, not just some philosophy, not just some airy-fairy way of thinking. No, God is revealing himself to broken, busted up people like you and me. Yes, many thousands of years ago, but it is profitable for us today. And he's not only speaking to human beings, he's speaking into real situations. Folks, the Bible tells us that God stepped into the brokenness of the world, into the brokenness of real situations amongst real people, and in doing so, enables his people to walk through the reality of a broken world as we await his return. So often, we can read the Bible and understand the gospel story at this 50,000 feet, 50,000 feet perspective and never see that it's profitable right in the midst of the reality of our broken situations, of which it is. And the Apostle Paul here in this letter is speaking and dealing with these issues. Now, right at the beginning of this series, I highlighted this, that the pillars of our cultural moment are these three things, stress, anxiety, and discontentment. If you don't believe me, just go on Instagram for 10 minutes and you'll see that. Stress, anxiety, and discontentment. And, and as Christians, sadly, we are not immune. And we can often find ourselves living our lives with these three pillars dominating our days. So as Christians, what we need to be reminded of that in the reality of our situations that do, folks, bring stress and anxiety, and at times cause us to wrestle with contentment, we need to be reminded that we have a joy in the gospel. We need to be reminded that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And being citizens of a ki the kingdom of heaven defines a greater reality for us. 
And as Christians, we are to reflect the story of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, as he writes to this church in Philippi, for those that don't know, this is a letter that a guy writes to a church that he loves. He has lifted their heads to see who Jesus is, to see who they are, to see what it looks like to live for him. And as we get to the close of this letter, he brings it right down to exhort and encourage and to help them walk through real situations. Real situations that affect the everyday of life and the everyday of church life. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to read from verse 2 of chapter 4. I entreat you, you die, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, help us by your Spirit to understand. Help us to see how this speaks in the reality of our situations. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I've got four things. The first one is this, that joy in Christ deals with unity, uh, disunity. Number two, joy in Christ cuts through anxiety. Number three, joy in Christ brings peace. And number four, let your reasonableness be known. Number one, joy in Christ heals disunity, verses two and three. Straight away, what we read here that there's a problem. There's been a barney between two women in the church that Paul names, Udiah and Syntyche. Now, we don't know the uh, the, the issue, but we know the seriousness of the issue. The reason why we know that is that Paul names these two women regarding them not getting on in any way. Now, we also know the seriousness of the issue because Paul has already spoken in general terms regarding unity. If you look at chapter 2, verse 3, he talks about having the same mind in Christ. Chapter 1, verses 27, he talks about standing firm side by side. So Paul generally has said, look, it is good for the church to stand firm, to be with each other, to have the same mind, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. But this issue between these two women is so serious that he names them because of an issue that is bringing disunity in the church. Now, folks, can I I help us in our cultural moment? We take for granted now that we can communicate instantly, don't we? We can. You know what I mean? All I have to do is something crazy, and within two minutes, it'll be on some sort of social media and there forever. Correct? Correct. We can communicate. If I've got an issue, I can call straight away. I can ring someone straight away. What we've got to bear in mind is here that Paul had a relationship with this church. It's in Philippi. He's in a place called Rome. 
And Epaphroditus had taken a letter with all the issues that were going in the church, had traveled, had given it to Paul. Paul had read the letter, he considered the situations, and he's written another letter that has been taken back and read out in the church. Such was the seriousness of this issue that was affecting the church. Paul felt that it was right to address the women specifically about what was going on. Now, folks... Not all situations of disunity in the church, sorry, all situations of disunity will cause problems in the church, won't they? They just will. But disunity amongst leaders and people of influence creates a vulnerability in the church community which can destroy it overnight. Such was the issue. Such was the influence of these women. Paul felt it right to address the problem. And what was the solution? What does he say there? I entreat you, I urge you to get along, to agree in the Lord, to agree in the Lord. He urges them, he exhorts them, he, he, he begs them, look, ladies, get along in the, the Lord. So the first thing, the first way of solving the problem is that they are to come together. See, Paul here is not taking sides. He's simply telling them to pursue and solve the problem. Not to be passive-aggressive, not to gossip, but to come together and solve the problem openly and transparently with each other. Folks, one of the issues that occurs in churches all the time in the sake of disunity is that this issue that there's a problem but nobody wants to deal with it. No, but people are happy to sit over this side of the church and happy over this side of the church and be in fellowship as long, as long as you're at the F and I'm at the P. And never the twain will meet and we won't deal with our issues whatsoever. And Paul is saying, no, come together and deal with the problem. And he wants them to come together and solve the problem with this posture of heart, agree in the Lord. That is also translated, be of the same mind in the Lord. Folks, throughout this letter, Paul has constantly reminded the Christians of their unity together. Chapter 1, verse 5, he calls them partners in the gospel. We are all partners of this wonderful truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this deep communion, it means, with each other because of what Jesus has done. In verse 7 of chapter 1, we are partakers of grace. None of us deserve to be the children of God. But because of Jesus, we all partake in that beautiful grace. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to you and he gives it to me. And he's encouraging these ladies to remember who they are. And like last week, we were reminded that we as Christians are citizens of, a, of, of, of the kingdom of heaven. In another writing of Paul, he says, this, this, this is not our home. This is not our home. Our home is to come. Our home is heaven. So Paul is saying to these women, look, I want you to come together to resolve this and agree in the Lord. And I want you to come with a posture of heart to agree. He wants them and encourages them to see the root of their unity is in Jesus, not in resolving the issue primarily. Are you with me? It's in Jesus. See, Paul is saying, agree in the Lord. Be of the same mind, as partakers of grace, as fellow citizens. Ladies, he's saying, you are united because of Jesus. So agree in him. Agree in him. But not only agree and have that posture of heart, he wants them 
to move towards each other like the Lord Jesus. Agree in the Lord. It was the Lord Jesus who didn't look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. It was the Lord Jesus who laid aside his rights, his entitlements, for the sake of others. In fact, not for the sake of those who were his brothers and sisters, for the sake of those who were his enemies. Folks, one of the reasons why disunity caused massive fracture in the life of the church is because people want to stand their ground. The people are not thinking of the other in the midst of that disunity. They're thinking of self. Sean and I, over the last 20 years, have counseled countless amount of married couples. And at times, we've seen married couples absolutely go at it in front of us. And I'm telling you, it all boils down to this. Every single situation in the midst of that argument is people standing the ground, thinking of self, thinking of entitlement, and not having the posture of heart to move towards the other and lay aside their interest for the sake of the other and for the sake of reconciliation. See, with disunity and dispute, the struggle to see reconciliation always happens because we are thinking of self and self-interest, not the other. Now, folks, Paul here is not, he is not calling these women, and he's not calling us as the church, to pursue unity for unity's sake. He's not calling us to pursue unity as the primary goal. No, it's a call for unity in the gospel. Paul is not saying that as Christians we can't disagree. We can disagree. We can disagree. In fact, over certain things, it is right that we are able to work through these disagreements. This is rather the posture of interaction that we should have. That the root of our unity is in Jesus. And that that gospel truth that we have should bring about a joy that heals disunity. Do you see that? There is a problem of disunity and the solution is come together in the truth of who you are and agree in the Lord and not only that does he say come come together he actually calls other people to get involved you see that there help these women true companion help these women it's interesting imagine folks imagine this Imagine if we were all sitting here and somebody had written a letter and there was a nice little bit about unity in Christ and unity in the church and then it turns around and it's like we're all like nodding away and Freddie's nodding away and Paul's nodding away and then suddenly it's like Paul and Freddie get on. Oh my word. Hang on a minute. And then he says, Carl, help them. Well, it's none of my business. Hang on a minute. That's none of my business. Paul is saying that it is your business. Paul is saying to the true companion and all those that are in the church, it is your business to help these women. Help these, verse 3, co-laborers. Those who have labored side by side with me. Those who are also partakers of grace. Those who have served you and are serving me. And those who are serving alongside all of those whose names are written in the book of of life where there is disharmony disunity in the church folks i need to say this to you if you're a christian it is your business it is your business not in terms of gossip or being a busybody but at those but it is your business because we have been given the ministry of reconciliation 
That's what the Bible says, that our ministry primarily, above all things, before playing the guitar, before singing, before preaching the Word of God, is a ministry of reconciliation, that we have been reconciled back to God in and through Jesus, and we are to reflect that truth to the world. So when there is disunity, our ministry is to bring reconciliation. Disunity and a fractured issue of relationship between those who don't know Jesus and know Jesus, our ministry... Let me tell you how you can be reconciled back to God. And not only reconciled back to God, reconciled with each other. So folks, when that occurs in the life of the church, it is our business to step in. And we should not allow the fear of meddling in issues stop us from helping people to reconcile in the gospel. Folks, I have spent hundreds of hours working with churches that are struggling, that are small, that want to be replanted and revitalized. For some reason, they ring me, and we go along, and we chat with them, and we try and help them. And more often than not, the issue is that there's been a massive disunity somewhere down the line, and then everybody else knows about it, but nobody stepped in to help. People have completely abdicated the ministry of reconciliation, and as a result, the churches are dead and dying. See, ultimately, why do we seek to agree as Christians? Why do we seek to solve issues? Why do we seek to heal disunity and help others in it? Ultimately, because of the gospel and because we are united in him. Amen? It's interesting how Paul says, true companion and clements and co-workers, and then all those whose names are written in the book of life. It's an echo of what Jesus said to his disciples. I don't know if you know, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples, and they're healing the sick, and they're casting out demons. And like any gang of young lads that have that power, they come back, and they're buzzing. They're absolutely going nuts. They're like, what, did you see that? I just said, in the name of Jesus, and all these devils like it. And I said, in the name of Jesus, and these people were healed. What does the Lord Jesus say to them? Don't glory in the fact that the demons obey you, but glory in the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? Amen. That's why we do it. See, Psalm 133 says this. A lot of you will know this. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. How good and pleasant it is when those brothers and sisters dwell in unity. And at the end of the psalm, it says this. That's where God commands the blessing. Now, often I think we've misunderstood that passage to think if we can make a decision in a minute, in a meeting, we're, we're, we're united and there is blessing in the midst of that decision. That's not what it's talking about at all. What it's, talk, what it's talking about is actually, as Christian people, as God's people, we already have unity because of Jesus. Do we live in it or don't we? Do we dwell in it or don't we? Because when God's people live out what it is to be God's people, they dwell in the unity that is theirs in the gospel. And it's at that point God commands the blessing. Amen? So folks, if you are at odds with other people, you are not dwelling in the unity that is yours in Christ Jesus. And if you are aware of this unity amongst God's people and you're not stepping in, you also are not dwelling in the unity that is in Christ Jesus. Folks, just a couple of questions in light of this. Do you see yourself as a threat to the unity of the church? You should. And I should. Because nine times out of ten, when something goes wrong, 
my back's against the wall and I throw the shutters down and I think of self before the other person. And at times, I will try my best to justify anything that I've done or said or anything that I haven't done or said to justify. I want to be the innocent party. It's my default to think of self. So we should be fully aware that we need the help of Jesus, the help of the Spirit, that in the midst of broken situations, that we have the mind of Christ and we step towards others, laying down our entitlements, and laying in, which are often wrong, by the way, and laying down what I think in terms of securing self and stepping towards the other, even in the midst of the painful situations. Next question. When you are found in an issue of disunity, will you ask for help of other people? Because you should. Because we should. Because any form of disunity can cause an issue in the life of the church that absolutely destroys the church and the witness of God's people in a particular area. And the last question, when you see disunity in the life of the church and conflict, where brothers and sisters aren't getting on in the Lord, are you prepared to give help? Because you should. Folks, to step into that conflict is good conflict. The Lord Jesus Christ stepped into brokenness, and as a result, there was conflict. And that conflict brought about life. And we are the fruit of that life, those who have faith in Jesus. Are you with me? Are you with me? So number one, joy in Christ heals unity. Number two, joy in Christ cuts through anxiety. So a common Christian struggle in the church is unity. It is, because we're all selfish. We're all fighting against that default. But another common problem is maintaining a joyful heart. Maintaining a joyful heart. And this is felt particularly during times of stress, difficulty, and suffering. When the cares of the world seem to press in on us, which I think most of us have experienced, and definitely this year, most of us have experienced in some way. But Paul's call here is to what, verse 4? Rejoice in the Lord. And it is so important, such an important command that he actually tells them to do it twice. He says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And I know some of you singing that song in your head. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice. See, folks, it is good for us to note, though, even though Paul is saying, look, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Paul is not calling them to rejoice about difficult situations. See, Paul's going to mention anxiety in a minute. So Paul recognizes that people, are, people struggle. But Paul is saying it's a call to rejoice. It's a call to be glad in the Lord. Whatever the disunity, whatever the anxiety, rejoice in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, the one whose kingdom you are a, part, you're a citizen of. The one whose righteousness covers you. The one in whom you have hope that one day he will transform your lowly body. The one who gave up the throne of heaven and humbled himself even unto death to buy back his people, people of which all of us are part. Rejoice in him. But the question is, how do we do this? How do we do this? When it's all pressing in, when there's issues of disunity, when anxiety is ahead of me and in the midst of my life, how do I do this? We do this by remembering. See that? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. We remember who he is. 
He is the Lord. Philippians 2 verse 11 tells us he is the name above every name. That's another way of saying he is over everything. We rejoice in him, him who is over all things. In fact, Romans 11, which is another letter that Paul wrote, he writes this. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul is moving God's people as he writes to the church in Rome. And he's saying to them, look at the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God. God is unsearchable. His ways are inscrutable. Nobody can bring him counsel. He doesn't owe anybody anything. And as he writes to the Philippians, he's saying, rejoice in this God. See, we have to remember in order to rejoice. We have to remember who God is. So rejoice in him who is over all things. But not only that, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. We are to remember where he is, verse 5. Now many of the commentators will suggest that what Paul means here is that the Lord is coming again, which is true. Amen? Amen. He's, he's coming again, which is correct. But folks, we also shouldn't forget that we are citizens of heaven and we await his return. But the original word of hand, the Lord is at hand, means close, closest. In fact, the Hebrew translation of the Greek word means he is close. Yes, Jesus is coming again, but Jesus is also close. Jesus said that I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. He said that I will always be with you. In fact, in verse 9, and we'll look at that briefly in a moment, Paul talks about the God of peace being with us. With us. Folks, yes, we have a God who is over all and in control of all, but he's not a God that is aloof and out there. No, he is a God who is close to us in every circumstance and every situation. Folks, we can be glad in the Lord in every situation because of who he is and where he is. But Paul is not calling us to rejoice in the horrific circumstances. He's not calling us to ignore or deny the pain or to exercise some sort of positive thinking in any given situation. He's not. Folks, as a family, we've been through loads of suffering. Loads of suffering in my immediate family, in my extended family. Loads. Many of you have suffered in so many different ways. And I want to tell you, None of the things that you have suffered or we have suffered took God by surprise. And it wasn't that God showed up late or that he wasn't there. No, God knew because he is completely in control and God was there because he is always right in the mix. Folks, we are able as Christian people because the joy of who he is and where he is are able to rejoice in the Lord. We are to remember that. We are to remember that. And folks, it is that joy that enables us to respond to what Paul says next. It's the truth 
of having joy in God who is overall in the midst of all that enables us to deal with what he says next, which will hit many of us like a ton of bricks. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It sounds simple, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Don't be anxious, just pray. Or we could read it like this. Stop worrying, start praying, pull yourself together and get on your knees. See, we know, don't we, that it's not that simple. And folks, in no way is Paul suggesting that it is. And in no way is Paul saying, just pull yourself together. No way. But in order for us to really understand this, in order for us in our cultural moment to be able to see what the Lord is saying to us specifically regarding this, I think it's good for us to try and figure out what do we mean when we say anxiety. See, I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that anxiety, I believe, is one of the pillars of our cultural moment. Everybody's anxious. Everybody's anxious, and it's the anxious voices that seem to be dominating everything. But what do we mean by that? What does Paul mean by that? And can I remind you, what does the Lord Jesus mean about that? When you read in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus deals specifically with anxiety and says the same thing. Do not be anxious. See, in our cultural moment, the word anxiety, I think, covers many things. Covers many things. It's become a word that sort of umbrellas lots of different emotions and feelings which actually don't mean anxiety. See, we may use the word anxiety when, in fact, we are grieving. We may use the word anxiety, but the reality is this, we're sad. We may use the word anxiety, but actually we are angry. We may use the word anxiety, but actually we are tired and we are exhausted. See, folks, anxiety actually is the state that we have when we imagine the future in a terrible way. Not the past, not the present, but the future. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what the Lord Jesus is talking about. When we imagine the future in a terrible way, and what we do is we take the unknown outcomes of the future and we bring them into the present. John Piper, who's a pastor in America, says this, anxiety seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequences of not receiving it. Let me say that again. Anxiety seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequences of not receiving it. And this will often be linked to something of value like money or relationships or security or education or health. Now what's interesting here is that often the desire for something can be good so let me give you some examples. I've got four kids, two girls who are both in here, and two little boys who are back in there. I have a desire, a good desire, a strong desire, to see my boys do well at school so they can get jobs and provide if they need to. It's a good desire. Agreed? No? Are you happy for them just to roam the streets and do nothing? Don't you care for my boys? That's a good desire. But that desire, because both my boys are dyslexic, quite badly, is accompanied with a fear that if they don't get the right help, 
they may, may become disillusioned, struggle, and fail. You see that? A good desire accompanied with a fear of a certain outcome. Let me give you another one. I'm making them personal because I think it hits home. I have a real desire for my children to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own Lord, friend, and Savior. But that desire is also accompanied by the fear that if they don't, they will spend eternity in hell. And even the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the churches in Corinth, talks about an anxiety he has for the spiritual well-being well-being of the church. So according to John Piper's definition, and I think Paul and the Lord Jesus, there are things in our lives that bring us concern or even alarm. And they give us concern and alarm regarding things in the future that move us to concern and compassion, which in some way could be seen as good anxiety or rational anxiety. Rational. However, Sinful anxiety is where we worry about, by imagining the future in worst-case scenario and then freaking out over it. You got that? About completely freaking out of it. And folks, this can be manifested in all different ways. It can be manifested in anger, trying to control, manipulate physical symptoms, sickness, or we just give up. We just give up. See, sinful anxiety is walking through the day with self-defeating, persistent thoughts of worry. And the issue is, we can go there whatever the desire or situation. So folks, my desire for my children to become Christians is a good desire. And them rejecting him is a real possibility. So that brings a concerning fear. The question is, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? I can either allow the worst case scenario of the future that I cannot control, freak me out, derail me, and steal my joy, or I can take it to the one who knows all and is in control of all. And I can take it to him with all my worry, all my fear, all my concern, and all my feelings. Folks, like I said, as a family, we've been through loads of difficulty that breeds anxiety. Breeds anxiety, but knowing that God is near and overall has brought me joy in all circumstances and it has cut through any anxiety. Right through it. See, the Apostle Paul here says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious because the Lord is overall and the Lord is near. Don't be anxious because you are not alone. In fact, he echoes what the Lord Jesus says. See, the Lord Jesus says, the Lord Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, be anxious for nothing. Look, folks, you can't even add, Jesus said, you can't even add an hour to the day in fearing that he can. You have no reason to worry about the future because I've got it, Jesus says. And actually, don't be anxious because it's the Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. You don't own the future, I do, Jesus says. And not only do I own the future, I also own you. So trust me and bring your problems to me and don't worry. So Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. 
by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Peter writes it this way, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Amen. Amen. Folks, in the midst of your anxiety, pray to the one who cares for you. You don't need to freak out. You don't need to have it all together. And when you don't, or your greatest fears are being realized either in your imagination or in your reality, cast them all on him, for he cares for you. See, the word supplication where Paul says, prayer and supplication means beg. means beg. means run to him. It means come to him. It means throw everything down on him. It's a beautiful word in one of the one or two chronicles, a beautiful line where it says, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing, but our eyes are fixed on you. Do some of you feel like that today? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm all over the place. I'm worried about stepping out the building and talking to somebody. Cast that burden on him who cares for you. Folks, I want you to know that God is glorified when you are in the deepest, darkest pain possible and you go to him. When you say to him, I trust you, help me, my heart is failing My head is all over the place and I don't know what to do. I want to assure you, as Paul tells us, God is glorified in that. And in the midst of his glory and enjoying his presence, you have joy. And not only have joy, it brings peace. So number three, joy in Christ brings peace, verses seven to nine. And this peace that comes is a promise. See that? And the peace of God. If you bring your prayers and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don Carson, who's a Canadian theologian, said this, I have yet to meet a chronic warrior who enjoys an excellent prayer life. I have yet to meet a chronic warrior who enjoys an excellent prayer life. Why is that? Because the promise of God is if you bring your worries to me, I will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. Folks, there is a correlation between prayer, peace, and joy. Now, this peace that surpasses understanding is not peace that brings a life that's free from pain and suffering. No, that's how the world understands peace, isn't it? That's how non-Christians understand peace. Well, peace is when everything is okay. But this peace that Paul is talking about is a peace, is a security, a sense of well-being in the midst of any circumstance that is a gift from God and is, is experienced in his presence. So as we come to him in his prayer, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is set on him because he trusts him. Folks, this peace will surpasses an understanding. The world thinks anxiety. We are given peace. See, what is understandable for people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is anxiety, is freaking out in the midst of any circumstances. It is. But what surpasses understanding is a life that holds on to the truth of who God is and where he is in the midst of any circumstance. And it's not only a promise that the peace will surpass understanding, it's also a promise that that peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. 
See, we may be vulnerable and susceptible to attack, but the peace of God will stand guard. It means garrison, garrison our hearts. We'll stand guard and protect our hearts and our minds. The vulnerableness of our thoughts and our feelings that have the potential to toss us and turn us in the wind, God promises if we come to him in the midst of those situations with our prayers, he promises that that peace will guard our minds and our hearts. Folks, you could be riddled with anxiety and worry and concern and think, I'm a Christian, why don't I know the peace of God? Ask yourself, am I coming to him in prayer? Am I laying all my cares down at him? Am I trusting the one who is overall and in the midst of this situation? Even if I don't think I can, or I feel him, he is there. That is a promise. And the correlation is when you bring that to him, the joy of knowing that you're his becomes tangible and you have a peace that even you can't explain in the midst of a busted up, broken situation that you find yourselves in. Paul goes on then in verse 9 that actually this, there's a peace that comes from right thinking and right living. Folks, I want us to be reminded of what we heard last week. Is that our minds have been renewed in Christ Jesus. Amen. As Christians, we think differently. We're called to think differently. He opens up our eyes to see the evidences of grace all around us. And Paul is saying, look, actually, a way of living as a Christian rolls out of a way of thinking. What does he say? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Folks, what we think matters, and it matters more than we think. It does. See, it's interesting whatever is true. It's interesting that he starts with that, especially in a world where we make up truth. Truth is found in this book. The Spirit of God reveals us truth. And then when we read all the other things that he's talking honorable, we can see that in the midst of the world because God is the giver of good gifts, even to those who are his children. He gives good gifts. That's how gracious that he is. So actually, let's look and think and actually think on those things through the lens of truth and allow that to reflect how we live as we follow those who do that. Paul goes on to say, not only think, but also live rightly and actually take example, verse 9, imitate those who have godly thoughts. Emulate those who set their minds on things above. Watch them. Watch what they value, how they talk, how they live. And the promises is of right thinking and right living is that you will know more of the presence of God. Amen. Amen. It's interesting, isn't it, that last point? I actually think it bookends the first point in chapter 2. Issue of disunity, causing all sorts of problems in the church that requires Paul to step in. Whereas if there's an issue of unity, as we watch and see other godly people and learn and imitate them, what comes about? Peace. See the difference? And finally, folks, number four, let your reasonableness be known. I always find it really interesting here, and I think we can do theological acrobatics to try and justify why this is in. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Let your re- what does that mean? Let your reasonableness be known to everybody. So the word reasonableness means graciousness, forbearance, patience, kindness. That's what it means. And this little comment sits right in the middle of issues of disunity and issues of anxiety. 
And it sits right in the middle of Paul talking about having joy and talking about having peace. So I think Paul is saying in the midst of your real situations, in the midst of disunity and anxiety, in the midst of a broken world, let your reasonableness, your graciousness, your forbearance be known to everyone. See, that means that as you live in the reality of a broken situation, being real about it, whilst also knowing and displaying the peace of God that comes from joy of trusting him, and people notice. It's actually being real about what is happening, but actually rejoicing in the God who is over all and in all, taking all your anxiety about an uncertain future regarding that situation, and living in the midst of the peace that God promises is actually to live out a graciousness and a forbearance and a patience amongst other people, which they will notice. Folks, as Christians, if we freak out like everyone else, we don't live set-apart lives. But if we're real about the situations in the midst of the pain and take them to the Lord Jesus, people notice. Both those in the life of the church and those outside. See, to try and control any situation yourself and not pray is functional atheism. It's to think that I am God, he's not, he hasn't got it, and I can deal with this. And even when I can't deal with this, I'll just give up. Folks, as Christians, we're not atheists. We believe that there's a God who's overall and in all. Don't we? Amen? That should be the biggest amen. If there's not a big amen, I'll be a little bit discouraged and think, what are we doing? We've got to, we at least believe that there's a God. And we are to live in such a way that displays the graciousness and display the story of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of any situation to a watching world. Folks, disunity destroys churches and it destroys witness. Anxiety, when not dealt with rightly, brings about selfish response that can cause further disunity and destroy the church, destroy our own hearts, cause us to live life of total worry and misunderstanding. But if we rejoice in him, we trust him, we come to him. The God of peace will powerfully work in your life and people will notice and people will see. So you're not in the room, so I'll say this. Through some of the stuff that we've gone through, my wife, Sean, has lived in such a way where she's been really real about the situation. Really real. Pain. Tears. Worry. But she's taken that anxiety to prayer and has actually communicated that with non-Christian people and by God's grace, some of those people are now Christians. And one of the triggers was, I can't understand how you are living the way that you are living in the midst of this broken situation. If it was me, I'd freak out. people see and by God's grace some people have been saved folks I know many of you are struggling I know many of you are feeling the pain of disunity disunity of Christian brothers and sisters disunity of issues in churches gone past in the past I know that most of you will articulate that you are anxious in some form I want each and every one of us to leave this place knowing that we have a God who is over all that we worry about. 
He's in the midst of all of our worry. And that brings peace and joy. Folks, if you try and live through all of that without that, the end is not good. But if you come to him in prayer and supplication, bringing your cares to him, the end is peace. And we have this wonderful hope because there's a day coming soon when the sun will appear and the clouds will be driven away. And the mystery of this life will all be made clear and we will rest in the judgment and the joy of that day. What do you do when you're down? What do you do when you're sad? What do you do when you're breaking inside? When there are dark clouds all day and you can't seem to pray and you just want to run and hide, you must believe. You must believe. You must believe even when you cannot see. See, you believe in the sun when it doesn't shine. You believe in the songs when they don't rhyme. So believe in your God and rest in his love. For he is too wise to act as a fool. He is too kind to do anything cruel. And he is too great to make a mistake. You must believe. And in light of believing the truth of that resurrection, the truth of the coming of Jesus, we now, Cornerstone Church, can rejoice. We can lift our hands and we can raise our voice to the one who is over all and in all because he is worthy of praise. We can sing the mercies of him who is our king and with trembling together, whatever our circumstances, we can rejoice because Jesus has taken all our sickness and our sorrow. He's carried up that hill. He's walked this path before us and he is walking with us still. And because of him and in him, he is turning tragedy to triumph. He's turning agony to praise. There is blessing in the battle. So take heart, brothers and sisters, and stand amazed. Rejoice. Because when you cry to him, he hears your voice. He will wipe away your tears. Rejoice. Even in the midst of suffering, he will help you sing. Rejoice. Cornerstone Church, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thank you and we praise you. That you, your Son, your Spirit, our God, who is over all and in all, I thank you and I praise you that we can come to you in the midst of crippling anxiety and lay that before you and you promise to give us that peace that surpasses understanding and father now in the midst of the quiet in the midst of our situation hear the prayers of each and every one of us as we bring those issues of disunity and those issues of anxiety before you now and folks in the midst of the quiet do that Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. In the midst of the anxiety that you feel now, don't be anxious. But through prayer and supplication, bring that request to God, knowing that that peace that is only found in him will guard your heart in Christ, where your joy is found. And if you're not a Christian and you're just sitting and you're just listening, ask God to reveal to you this joy that we speak of. Ask God to reveal to you this peace that we speak of. Ask God to reveal to you Jesus.
thank him. Ask for forgiveness from him and know that peace. Father, accept of our praise and our worship. Fill our hearts with the joy that sustains us through any circumstance. Knowing that one day you will return, Lord Jesus, and make all things new. We love you. We need you. It's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Let's stand.